Okay, this week's parsha is Parsha's Bahar uh, Kaisai, but we're not going to be speaking about uh, the parsha this week. Um, but we're going to speak about the fact that it's getting very near Matan Taira a week before Shavuos, and there's a pasuk by Matan Taira in Parsha's Yisrael that says. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, climb the mountain, come up to the mountain, and be with me on the mountain, join me. And when you're on the mountain, you should be there. You should be on the mountain. And the obvious question is, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling Moshe Rabbeinu? Obviously, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe Rabbeinu to come to Har Sinai, the obvious understanding is that Yesham, that Moshe Rabbeinu will be in fact there. This is a question that the great Kotzker Rebbe asked on this Pasuk. And the Kotzker's explanation is something that's very important for all of us. And that is that we see from this Pasuk an amazing thing. That even though Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain, it's possible for a person to be on top of the mountain and yet not to be there. What does that mean? It means that very often in life we are physically somewhere, but mentally we're not. So whereas we might be in a certain place, our bodies might be there, but our minds and our hearts are not. And Akhish Baruchu is telling Meshe Rabbeinu, it's not alone enough to climb the mountain. But it's also necessary that when you're on top of the mountain, when you're on Har Sinai, we're on the pinnacle of the mountain as close as you are to the Rabbeinu Shalom, you have to make sure to be in the zone. And make sure to be mindful that you're there and be in touch with the with the reality that you're in at that moment, and not to be elsewhere when you're in, when you're on top of our Sinai. And I think that this is one of the main nisyanis of our dart, because our generation is a very good generation. We do a lot of good stuff, and we have a lot of Tyra being learned, and a lot of Minyanim, and a lot of Shuls and Shtiblach, and we have schools from elementary schools to high schools to base Madrash, Kailal, schools for boys and for girls, mikvahs, everything. We have everything. The main problem is that whereas we are physically enrolled in all of these types of institutions, but we're not there. We lack the Yesham. We're on top of the mountain. We're in Yeshiva. We're in a base medish. We're in a shul. We're davening. We're doing everything right. But yet we're not there. Our minds and our hearts are elsewhere. Let's describe a few of these important things that we're missing in action for and then maybe we'll come up with a solution. Probably the most important, one of the most important things that a Jew does every day is to daven. And davening is 
Chazal described as It's the most elevated thing, things that are literally scraping the sky. When we daven, we are standing on the highest plateau. But yet when we daven, very often we're davening physically, we have our tefillin on, we have our talis on, and we're, we're reading the words, we're shuckling, we're doing everything right. The only problem is that our minds are not there. We're on top of the mountain. We did that, but it's not that Yesham. We're not there. We're not thinking about what we're doing. Our davening is not a complete davening because we're not actually in touch with our Yisham when we're davening. I remember Rav Bronspiegel, who was the the first Rosh Hashiva of our institution, of our yeshiva, Zolgesundsein, he used to say pretty often, from what I recall, how Reb Levi Yitzchak the great defender of Pal Yisrael, Reb Levi Yitzchak used to say that when a Yid steps back three steps after he finishes Shemayna Esri and he makes his Isa Shalom B'mraimav, you should go over to him and say to him, Shalom Aleichem. Why? He says, because when a Yid Davin Shemana Esrei, his mind is all over the world. You know, it looks like we're Davin Shemana Esrei, it feels like we're Davin Shemana Esrei, but if you would be able to really do like a, a brain scan of what the person is thinking, when he's Davin Shemana Esrei, he's been in Hawaii and he's been in Eretz Yisrael, and he's been in California, and he's been in Toronto. He's been all over the world. His mind is not shum. It looks like he's shum. He puts on a, a you know a good production as if he's shum, but he's not. And so you should go and say shalom aleichem because he's just arrived after I say shalom. He's been around the world. He just didn't bring a suitcase, but he was you know he was everywhere except where he was supposed to be. And I think that's a reality that many of us can relate to, unfortunately. We feel, I feel, you know, we spend so much time, we wake up early in the morning, we come to Shua, we come to Yeshiva, we daven, but at the end of davening, do we really feel, that was a good davening, I nailed that davening. That davening, Mamish, I was like in Shemayim. Very, very infrequently, personally, do I feel that way. And you know something? I'm not alone. And I'm not talking about people around me that I'm not alone with, because I don't know, if you've found the Tavskos that everybody else is in Shemayim, but I'll tell you, if you look through Jewish history, there were greater people than me that also were marriage these types of feelings. It already goes back to a Gemara, there's a Gemara in Brachas and Daflamid Gimlamid Bays that speaks about not having Kavana by Davening. And it says that if you say the Pasuk of Kriyashma and then you repeat it again, so Mishaskinai say we make him, everyone should go, Sha, 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 don't say it again. Why? The Gemara asks, why should you be Mishaskin? Dilma may kar kivain daitav, but say kivain daitav. Very simple. Maybe the reason why the guy's repeating it is not he's he's not saying happy curses. He's not thinking that there's more than one for Benishlam Khalila. Why is he saying Kriyashma again? Because he didn't have Kavana the first time. 
such a difficult thing to do to, to understand how a person should repeat Shmanet, to repeat Kriyashma because he didn't have proper Kavan on the first time. Sabaye so says to that question of the Gemara, Chavrusa klape Shmaya Mi'ika, are you a Chavrusa to God that you're just so casual with Him? If you don't have Kavana before you start saying Kriyashma, we, we stand in front of Hakarishmarku by Kriyashma Shmanesre and we're not having Kavana. He says, if you don't have Kavana, you take a hammer of a, like a copper smith or a, or a tin smith and you knock that hammer over your head until you have Kavana. You're not a chabrusa to the Rabbi Yishlam. You have the luxury of just facing out in the middle of Shmanasri, in the middle of Kriyashma. And the Gemara really couldn't fathom that, you know, Abaye couldn't understand how a person could simply be so cavalier as to say, maybe you didn't have Kabbana, but for one minute you don't have Kabbana. But you see from the fact that the Gemara entertained that Avamina, that a person doesn't have Kabbana, that even in the times of the Gemara, people simply sometimes were not able, unless you're Abaye, you're not able to muster the proper Kabbana. Kabbana is a very difficult thing. But yet Abaye was so vehemently, you know, up in arms about a person even considering not having Kabbana, because it's necessary. But yet we don't have it. There's a Taisal in Baba Basra that's comical. Taisal in Baba Basra on Davkuf Samachdal and Medez. Dibra Maschul Ian Tfila brings from a Yerushalmi in Brachis that it's a Yerushalmi, so maybe it's not familiar to us, but if there's one Yerushalmi, this should be it. If there's one Yerushalmi that we should know, it should be this one. The Yerushalmi says, Amr of Masnir, Michaz Kona Tivusa Lurasha. A certain Amaira says, I'm tremendously makir-typed to my head. Why am I makir-typed to my head? This is something that we can mamish all relate to. That when I get up to Shemayna Esrei, when I get up to the part of Shemayna Esrei of Maidim, my head, like instinctively, as a knee-jerk reaction, bows. Isn't that amazing? That we're able to daven Shemayna Esrei with absolutely no concept of what we're saying to Oshman Esrei, but yet by Maidim, we automatically, by Slachlan, we go like this. Even on Shabbos, sometimes, you know, you go like this, and it, like all of a sudden, like, you hop that. It's Shabbos, you shouldn't be doing that. So, like, you put your hand down and quickly see if anyone looked at you. Right? That's one thing that we do in Stingless Slachlan. You don't have to think about anything. You're just, like, automatically, your body is, like, you know. And then by Maidim, you, you bow down. And so, now, Maidim, and your Shami says, I owe a very big Hakar Satan. I should give my you know, my head like an extra, you know, an extra nash on Shabbos because it's so good to me. Why is it so good? Because I'm spacing out by davening, but it remembers to, to bow down my maiden, but Hashem, it's a, you know, good to cup I have. I have a good head. What do we see from these Mechairis? We see that this problem of being Mechavim Daita Veshman Esrei is not something that started in the year 2000. It's a very, very ancient problem that people simply cannot muster Kavana by Shemadeser that they're on top of the mountain but they're not Shum they're not Shum I always speak about you know how the hardest bracha in Shemadeser for me to be Mechavim to is the first bracha of Shemadeser 
I'm not saying that I have good kavan in any of the brachas of Shmoneser, but if there's one bracha that's really difficult to be mechavin, it's the first bracha. Now, there's different reasons that I feel that's the case. First of all, because the Eitzahara probably doesn't want you to be mechavin, because that's the main bracha that you need kavana. The rest of Shmoneser, you just need a kavana that you're aiming with now. You don't have to know exactly what you're saying. See, even if you're sort of spacing out, but you know that you're standing in Shmaneser in front of a king, in front of the king, you're Yaitse. But the first brach of Shmaneser in Tomog and Avram, you have to know the Kavanah Samilim. This is the famous Rambam, as, as explained by Rabbi Chaim Briska, how you need, you need Kavanah for the first brach of Shmaneser. The rest of Shmaneser, you just need Kavanah that you're Ayman of Namel. But that brach, you need Kavanah in what you're saying. And so probably it's very difficult always to muster kavan, even though it's right out of the gate, and that should be the one bracha that, you know, you do have kavan, but that's a very difficult bracha, you know, to mecham, because the Yitzhahara is putting a full core press on you not to have kavan for that bracha. But there's also an additional reason why it's difficult to have kavan for this bracha, because it's a very hard bracha to really touch up. Like the English, what does it mean? How do you read that first bracha of Shemineser? To me, it's taken me a lifetime, and it's still honestly very difficult for me to figure out what the pure kavaslachlano, I get exactly what the bracha means. Repaino, I'm on it. The first bracha is like very convoluted. The doctor, the one bracha that you wish was simple and straightforward. Fine. Then it goes off in another direction. It's like a lot of shevach and a lot of like disjointed themes that are all converging at one point. It's a lot. It's a lot of things to like put together and there's a lot of svarim, a lot of ink has been used to try to explain that first bracha of Shemineser. And a lot of times I express my personal frustration with that bracha and one time, or maybe more than once, but a certain bracha came over to me after I gave a shir on that first bracha and trying to make heads and tells I said, Rebbe, you can't do that to me. You can't like start telling me that you have a hard time with that bracha of Shmaneser because then it sort of throws my Shmaneser for a loop because I, you know, if you don't have kavana, then, you know, uh, you know, it makes me like question if I can have kavana. So, I don't know why you thought that way, but that's another story, but... But needless to say, I felt a little guilty. You know, maybe Taka, I shouldn't speak this way because it's like making everybody like be miyayish on that first bracha shmanesre. And then Baruch Hashem, I found in a sefer that was Shlemazam and Erebach. He was makabal on himself on a Rosh Hashanah. Erebach Hashanah, you know, everybody's working on Kabbalists, and there's a lot of famous Kabbalists, so Shach was makabal on himself. You know, he's going to bench out of, a, out of a bench every every time he benches at home, not outside the house, but at home. Like, very small, you know, things that big gedayim that you'd expect with the on themselves to do, like, who knows what. They're makabal on themselves, simple things. And I saw Shlemizam in Erebach himself, Erev Rosh Hashanah one year. He was makabal on himself. L'ishtadel l'chavein v'bracha reishisa shebeshmanesrei. That first bracha... That difficult bracha that you think of Shlomo Zalman Ayerbach himself, he like, that was in the bag. That was so simple for him. Shlomo Zalman was a genius. Shlomo Zalman was a Kaddish, a Tar, a Tzaddik, an Ayve, like a real person. He was a real Yid. 
And you'd think for him, like, he didn't even have to struggle at all with that bracha. For him, that was like, a, like maybe by, at the end of Shmanesa, like Hainitzar, maybe by then, you know, he got a little bit off, uh, derailed a little bit. But the first bracha, that was it. It's simple. And he was Makabal on himself, Erev Rosh Hashanah, that I'm going to, he's not going to do it. I'm going to try, like, I'm going to try to have a little Kavana by the first bracha. When I saw that, I felt good. Because Rosh Hashanah Zaman Erebach, you know, is struggling with the Kavana of Bracha then I think I'm okay if I also have my own, you know, struggles with it. But the point of the matter is that how many times are we on top of the mountain and we're not there? We're not there. We're not Shum. It's not enough to be on top of the mountain. It's not enough to be putting on our tefillin and davening a Shemana It has to be, we have to work hard to be there to be in the zone that our mind and our heart are focused on what we're doing. And it shouldn't be just like a robotic activity. There's very strong words in the Mikhtam I'm afraid even to repeat what the Mikhtam of Desler writes. He says like this, this is in Chela, if you don't believe it, I wouldn't believe it either. You should look it up. It's Chela Dalid. Page 361. And Rav Desler writes as follows. Listen to the words of Rav Desler. Anu regilam loimar sha'anu misfalim. How often do we say, you know, somebody asks you, did you daven? Yeah, daven. You know, even if you didn't daven, a lot of times you just say you daven. You don't want, like, especially, like, you know, people are mutchering you, like, in the airport, did you daven? You know, like, yeah, 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 daven. <laughs> You know what, you know, you're not in the mood right now, or on an airplane, I hate that. You know, you want to just sit on an airplane. Shlomo I think, by the way, holds in an airplane, maybe you shouldn't daven with a minion, but they're always like, you're making you feel guilty, and much you daven, daven, they're like, yeah, yeah, daven. So Rav Dessler says that if pe- people say, you know, I davened already, Baruch Hashem, uh, yeah, I just got home, I'm sure I just finished davening. You daven? He says, Aval hare ze emes klaut. Rav Dessa says, that's bogus. It's not true. You didn't, don't lie. Say you daven, you didn't daven. Because we never ever reach the point that we daven. We can't say honestly that we've davened. Ube emes, listen to Rav Dessler, it's amazing. Ube emes The truth is that we should, we should be usher, it should be usher for us to daven, to say these tefillahs all together, it should be usher. They should ban sidurim. Somebody, if you want to be a tzaddik, you should go and take all the sidurim and hide them. Why? Because how many brachas levatolas are we saying every day? I mean, look at it. We're, we're going through shmei. You know how severe a bracha levatola is? It's probably, the Gemara says, like, it's like, that's a bracha levatola. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't say Hashem's name in vain. And we are like, you know, we're not thinking about what we're saying from beginning of davening till the end of davening our minds are elsewhere we're not thinking about nothing we're thinking about a lot I shouldn't say it. we're thinking about a lot but it's about the Mets about the Rangers about the Yankees about the everything but not everything but what we're supposed to be thinking about he says they should really abandon davening that's the right they should answer it he says 
And because he tear you know why we dab him? You know why he shouldn't take away the Sidur before you start, you know, making a big plan to you know start doing that? Because just so that we should remember that there's a concept called davening, that Jews daven, that's why we still daven. But more than that, there's really it's like an exercise in 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 Brachaslavatalus. That's basically what davening for us is. It's basically a it's, a, it's an empty activity today that we do called davening. It's like in, in Yeshiva we used to joke back in the day, now I guess it's not funny anymore, but in the, in the day it was, uh, I don't know if it was then either, but that Musr Seyed, you know, you go into even sometimes big Yeshivas, it's like Musr Seyed, and it's, it's sort of like as many people as are here today in the room, it's about as quiet as, a, as, as, as that, you know, and so I used to say that Musr Seyed is a, um, you know, it's 20 minutes, of silence, that's what Muslims say. There's it's 20 minutes of silence. You know, we give like you know, we give Rabbi like you know, we, we remember his memory like with silence. Like no one's learning, no one's, there's no Muslim, but it's like it's just and that's sort of what davening. It's like an exercise of just like doing nothing for for a few hours every day because we're not. The sad truth is that as much as we say we daven and we're davening, we've always they never missed a davening baloney. You did. You were there. You were at davening. You might have come, but you weren't really davening. I think they said it from the Baal Shem, that the Baal Shem type says that um, he says if you oh I, I think I think there's like a special kabbalistic schoola that if a person Davins, if, it, if a person do, has a tainus dibur for 30 days straight, then he gets whatever he wants in Shemayim, something like that. So a person needed something, he had a tainus dibur for 30 days, he didn't say anything, you know, extra, and, you know, and, and the thing that he wanted didn't happen. So he came to the Baal Shem Tov and he says, no, you know, Rebbe, it didn't happen. So he says, did you daven this past month? He says, yeah, so that explains it. Because he had a lot of bracha, yeah, you, you did. See, uh, just because you're not talking about, you know, just because you keep walking around like, mm-hmm, you know, that's very good about everything else. But davening, you spoke, right? Yeah. But that's all, there was it was one word after another without any kavano. So that's not that's not davening. That's talking, and you're talking without any purpose. So so basically, that's why it didn't work. One of my favorite stories about the Ribnitzer Rebbe, Zechitazik Lebracha, that somebody came in and said to the, Rib, the Ribnitzer Rebbe had a, had a hakpada, that his minion, he had a little shtibel in his house in Mansi, and he only wanted people from Mitzarek to the minion that didn't daven yet. People that daven were, need not attend. He didn't want, he wanted 10 mispaulim. He didn't want to be saying on a kula about right mispaulim or this or that. He wanted 10 mispaulim. So one time there was a guy who wanted really badly to daven in the mechitzas of this tzaddik, the Ribnitz Rebbe. So he sort of snuck himself into a mincha. And he had already daven mincha already. So, you know, the Ribnitz Rebbe with his Ruach HaKadosh looks at him with his holy eyes. And, you know, he says, you've davened already, get out of here. He says, you know, it's amazing, but the Ribnitz Rebbe kicked him out of the minion because he had davened already. So the guy walks out with like a smile from ear to ear. So somebody like said, hey, Tiffish, you know, I don't know if you just copped what happened. The Ribnitz Rebbe busted you, and you kicked you out of the minion, and you're smiling? He says, yeah, you didn't hear what the Ribnitz Rebbe said. He said, I daven. 
He said, that thing that I did, he considers that davening? He says, wow, okay, I'm happy. Baruch Hashem, he came. The Rebbe Shabbat said, I davened. I didn't know that that was considered davening. I'm happy the Rebbe Shabbat considers it davening. And the question is, does the Rebbe Shalom consider it davening? Are we really, do- we're davening, but we're not davening. We're on top of the mountain, but we're not shum. Let's go through something, some other things. Tyra. We come to say there, we're learning Tyra. Is our minds there? Maybe a little bit. Are our hearts there? Are we realizing what we're doing when we're learning? Are we realizing that we're mamish, like holding up the world? Are we realizing that, that a person, when you learn the Shekhinah's Kenegdai, do you know there are shachis to say when he saw like guys out in the hall in Panovich or you know, drinking a coffee, he says, says, you know, go back to the Yishmael, your chabrusa is waiting for you. So either he says, no, my chabrusa is here drinking coffee with me, or I don't have a chabrusa this month, I'm learning on my own. But I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about the Rebbein Yishmael. When you're learning, when a person is learning, when a yid is learning, he's mamish learning with the Rebbein the Rebbein Shalom is a person's chavrusa. You're mamish in the presence of the Rebbein Shalom. You're mamish like Meshach Rabbeinu on top of our scene when we're sitting in front of our Gemaris and learning. But we're not shum. We're not mamish being mechavin to the Kedusha Satayr. If we're learning, it's maybe an exercise in intellectual stimulation, but it's not understanding the presence of where we are. We don't understand what we're doing when we're learning. It's like davening for us. It's like we're doing it, but we're davening it up. We don't realize the greatness and the magnitude of everything that we're doing. Shabbos. Shabbos is another thing. We go on Shabbos. You know that Shabbos, Chazal tell us that when we enter into Shabbos, it's supposed to be considered which means that if you're in the middle of typing a paper until, you know, five minutes before Shabbos, and you're still very orangutan in your, in your paper. Or you're in the middle of a business deal. You're like a big Wall Street tycoon and your mom is closing a big, you know, billion dollar deal. And now Shabbos comes. You're supposed to like turn off the whole world and start entering into the world of Shabbos. Ke'ilo, all of your malach is done. As if there's nothing left to be. The deal was closed. The paper was finished. Whatever you're doing, it's done. Don't bring that into Shabbos. Shabbos is supposed to be a, an entirely different world of holiness. And yet, on Shabbos, we know that we're on top of the mountain. We're mamish on our Sinai, but we're not there. We're, we're not Shabbos. We're lacking the ability to appreciate the fact that it's Shabbos Kaidish. We lack the ability to appreciate what we are allowed to do on Shabbos and what we're not allowed to do on Shabbos. And this is something, I don't think it's just me. I think a lot of us you know, have that same affliction that we want to. It's not that we don't want. We're not callous. We're B'nai Tyre. We want to do the right thing. But it's just as hard as it is, we're not able to do it. We want to do it. We want to want to do it, but we're not doing it. We're not appreciating Shabbos fully. We're not appreciating our davening fully. We're not appreciating our Tyre fully. I'll give you another example. A person lives his most of the years of his life, and now he's looking forward to one day of his life, and that's the day of his chasna. 
right? That's a very, that's a pinnacle. That's not just like a, you know, red letter day on the calendar. That's like, that's the calendar. That's the, that's what a bacher looks forward to. That day that he's going to stand under the chuppah and get married, if a bacher is not looking forward to that, a girl certainly is looking forward to that. That's what she dreams about, you know, and the, the, wearing the dress and wearing the, you know, and under the chuppah and the ring and the, the band. That's what, you know, that's like the, 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 the highest, you know, day of a person's life. And even then, you think that there I'll be in the zone. By my chasa, then I'm going to be there. And yet you're not. I was once at a chasna. I had a, an unusual kibbutz. It wasn't Sida Kedushan and it wasn't Bracha Frita. Those are the only two things I'll accept, by the way. Um, just make a mental note of that. Um, but it was a different keyboard. It was an outdoor chuppah. It was an outdoor chuppah. And, okay, it's a um, It was an outdoor chuppah. And, um, and they, they, hold, they held poles. They held, you know, four poles, outdoor chuppah. So it was a friend of mine. I was still a bacher. And a friend said, uh, you know, you know, Bamberger, would you be machado me holding a pole? And I said, fine. Held the pole. So that wasn't such a big deal. But the story that I got from holding that pole is absolutely golden. I was there. I was mamish there. I was under the chuppah as close as you could be. I was mamish kilu like I was an aide. Because I was right there. Rav Aaron Shechter was Masadik Kedushin, Rashiv of Chaim Berlin. The father of the chassan. was standing next to his son. And I kid you not, I know this sounds bizarre and you think that I'm making this up, but he got a phone call on his cell phone. Cell phones then were like a newer thing. Today it's ubiquitous. You know, everybody has a cell phone. But then it was like still like a chiddish to have a cell phone. And, you know, so it was unusual, you know, it was an unusual thing. It wasn't not, It wasn't like for everybody yet. It was just at the when it was starting to, to, to become popular. It's still very expensive. Anyway, this guy, the father of the chassan, got a phone call right like by under the chuppah. You know when things were happening already. It wasn't we weren't waiting for. He got to, and he takes the call. And he's speaking, and it wasn't like you know grandmother that he was like putting the phone to. You know one of those types of things. It was like. There wasn't any, like, you know, uh, FaceTime or something that you could actually, you know, it was just basically, and he wasn't like, he was just, somebody, a random person called him. He took the phone call, and then, like, you know, he was, like, sort of, you know, just talking, like, in an annoying way, like, on the phone during a chuppah. And it's his kid's chuppah. It's not, you normally have to make an announcement, could everybody please shut your cell phones, you know, for the chassan and call You know, it's your own kid. And then it was like, you know, after, after the Birchus Eresin, so the father gives the son the, you know, from the wine to drink. That's like the only thing he has to do under the chuppah, this guy. But he was so busy on his phone that, you know, Ravaren says, can you hang up the phone and give your son some wine to drink? It was under a chuppah. It was mamish, the son's chuppah. This guy you know, put a million dollars into the son's chinuch already, did everything for the son. You're under the chuppah. 
hang up the phone for crying out loud like what do you have to do to get a guy to hang up the phone this is your son's chuppah In the house, you know, parents a lot of times were there, come home for supper, but we're not there. Busy on the phone, busy on the computer, busy on, you know, reading a paper, learning a safer. Your kids are like dying for some attention. Dying for your time, for your advice, for your love, for a hug, something. We're home, but we're not home. Again, we're on top of the mountain. We're here. Don't say I'm not a deadbeat dad. I'm home. No, you're not. You're not home. You might as well be at work because you're not home. There's a story I heard once of a child of a lawyer. And this lawyer was always super, super busy. He's always very busy, making a lot of money and always at work. And this guy was home. He's home that night. But again, like the son was like, ask him something, and, and you know, he didn't give his say he's on the phone with an important client and a client and a this and billing. So the son, you know, after the father hung up the phone and he's like desperate for his father's attention, he says, Patty says, how does, it, how does it work with lawyers? Like, he says, well, you know, we get paid by the hour. Our, our time is what we sell. We sell our time. We don't have. You know, we don't, some people sell paper clips and some people sell, you know, time. We sell our time. He says, oh, it's interesting. He says, how much do you get an hour? So he said, I don't know, you know, $200 an hour. So the sun disappears. He comes back downstairs. He opened up his piggy bank. He took out, you know, $200 in quarters. He says, Tati, here's $200. Can I please buy an hour of your time? That's the way we are. We're able to be there, but we're not there. We come home, we're not there. We think we're there. You know, our wife wants to talk to us. Our kids want to talk to us. Our parents want to talk to us. We're just like in a different world. We're just so spaced out. We're so into our own little thing that we're not there. And so we go through a whole life and we're not mindful of being where we are. We don't know right now where we are. We're thinking always like what's going to be and what was. We're, thinking, we're so busy thinking about yesterday and tomorrow that we never think about today. And if we think about today, it's never about this moment. It's always about something else. And so basically a person very often can go through a whole life and he never ever lived a second of his life because he never lived in the moment. He was never on the mountain when he was supposed to be on top of the mountain. There's a lot of reasons why we're this way. A lot of us are just naturally aloof. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not really so focused well. And so our minds are scattered a lot and we don't focus in on what we're supposed to. But technology is, I think, a very, very big factor, at least for our generation, of why we're not able to focus well. Because we're constantly, constantly distracted. In order to daven properly, you have to be in it. You have to be thinking about the Rabbi Nishram. You have to be on what you're saying, to whom you're saying it. If you're learning Taira, the same thing. If you're home, the same thing. If you're at your chasm, the same thing. 
On Shabbos, the same thing. But we're so distracted by technology that we can't really, our minds are fried. We're not able to focus anymore because what technology, this is not just my, this is not my tradition. I've spoken to a lot of people in Finnuk, and they all say the same thing, that these computers and these smartphones and the Facebook and the texting and the, all these things, they have one effect. They make a person's mind fried. And so if a generation ago, when I say a generation ago, I mean maybe 10 years ago, the minds were sharper and the minds were, and the hearts were a lot more sensitive. Today we're not. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I have a very close friend who's a dentist. And he tells me, he says that he's like in the middle of like, you know, drilling. Drilling teeth, like that's what, his, that's what he does for a living. And then, you know, all of a sudden like the kid, this is like a, we're not talking about a, a 50-year-old man. We're talking about like a 13-year-old kid. He's like, mm-mm-mm. what? He's like, mm-mm. He just got like a text from somebody in the middle of his drilling, so he has to like, he has to respond to the text. He says, and when he tells him he could rinse, like, well, like nine out of ten kids by rinsing, they, they quickly check their, their cell phones to see whether or not they got an email. Th- these aren't businessmen. This is not a Parnassa issue. This is, this is just social. We're so distracted. You know, you go to a restaurant. Sometimes I take my wife out. And you see, like, husbands and wives, and maybe I'm one of them, I don't know, but, like, you see husbands and wives, you know, but sometimes it's really pronounced. Like, you know, I check my messages once in a while. I'm not, I'm guilty as charged. But there are people that are, they're sitting in the restaurant, and sometimes it's an expensive restaurant, and the whole time the husband does not look at his wife once, or the wife does not look at the husband once. They're just sitting with their cell phones, and they're just doing their own thing. If you... I dare you to drive, even with all the laws, you know, against, and they're going to give you points and this and that. I dare you to drive and by a red light look to the right and left and see neither person, you know, looking at their phone. It's impossible. With all the knosses and with all the, the sakhan and whatever, people cannot, they cannot stop looking at that machine. I saw once a, a cute cartoon how there was a husband and a wife you know, sitting together, like, by breakfast, and the husband was on the, you know, looking down the cell phone, and the wife says, could you do me a favor? Could you, like, glue your phone to my forehead so at least, like, when you're looking at it, I could, you know, pretend as if you're looking at me? That's true. That's exactly, it's exactly the way, it's not even a cartoon, it's reality. That's the way it is. We're so addicted, and we're so distracted and we're so not in the zone of what we should be doing with our lives everything we're like living a world of make-believe whatever we're doing is so one-dimensional and it's like an maybe an inch deep because we're so elsewhere because technology and the 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 crazy fast pace of our lives and all the issues that we have on our plates and there's a lot of them also it's another discussion but all of these things together are so daunting that we cannot really focus in on what we're supposed to be doing. It's hard to study, it's hard to learn, it's hard to daven, and it's hard to talk, it's hard to be home, it's hard to be at work. We have no life. 
because we're so, we're like zombies walking around, like there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daphnon Bezim and Aleph. It's about the death of Nadav and Avihu. How did they die when that fire came down? So the Gemara says, Nishmasa Nisrefes Teguf Kayim. That fire didn't burn up their bodies. The fire went inside of them. It burned their neshama, but the guf was kayim. Their bodies were intact when they came in to get them. Their bodies were whole, but their neshamas were fried. And I think I remember of Ephraim Waxman using that line, that Gemara, by that famous internet Asifa in City Field, just a, a stone's throw away from here. That beautiful night I was able to get after a lot of lobbying, I got 98 tickets to that Asifa. A lot of you weren't in yeshiva at the time. It's going back maybe two years. But, and and I, I was muttering the guy to get it. We're Lander Power. Like he said, we have no ticket. It was sold out. Everybody had to, the overflow crowd was already going into, like they, they rented another stadium next door called Arthur Ashe Stadium and, you know, in, the, in the tennis center here. I said, no, I need to get tickets. I don't care where it is. I need to get tickets. These are, you know, we're, you don't, you know, Lakewood took like 5,000. I said, Lakewood doesn't need it. We need it. We actually use the internet here. It's a college. So he says, fine. I'll give you 100 tickets. So I think there was a mistake because, I don't know, like everything was so quick and everyone was like, he gave me a, an envelope full of tickets and when we got there, they were like the VIP seats of the whole place. Like, I thought we were going to get in the nosebleed section. They get, we were mamish behind home plate. And not only that, but we were like, there wasn't really a home plate there. I mean, but it was, but we, but we had like the chashuva, like, it was like, we're like the chashuvim sit by these baseball games. Like, like the, the bathroom was like gorgeous, like marble. And like, you know, it was like the lobby and like the seats were chashuva, like plush seats. We were like sitting like with all the gevirim and the rebbes. Like wherever they were sitting, that's where we were sitting. And we were even in Ami Maga. We were so chashuva, like Ami Magazine came and, and interviewed us. Because they didn't know us from Adam, but they, you know, they, they saw we were chashuva. Like, you know, wow, you know, who are these people? But we went to that Asifa, and it was an amazing night. It was a beautiful evening. It would be a nice night for a baseball game. But um, it, was, it was like a perfect evening with, a, you know, and, and the, the grass smelled nice. And it was, but it was, uh, it was a very important Asifa to see tens of thousands of Yidin coming in order to make a macha. And it was ridiculed in the papers, like the anti-internet and anti-technology and Luddites and all that. At the end of the day, Yisrael in our neshama, we know that there's something wrong with what's going on. Exactly how to deal with it is anyone's guess. It's like an impossible thing to even begin to discuss because, you know, everybody knows, like, the internet is not going anywhere. It's not a passing fad. It's life. You know, before you know it, like, our cars are going to all be running with internet connectivity and, you know, refrigerators, houses... You know, sure, everything is internet. I mean, you can't live without the internet. And so you can't pretend it's not there. I mean, it's not changing. You can't bring it into the house. And it's a problem. So, you know, the solution is very hard to, to understand, to figure out. But one thing is true, it's, it's for sure good. And that's that thousands of people recognize that it's a problem. You know, if you ever, like, if you have any sort of addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's, uh, you know, any of the addictions out there, there is something called the 12-step program. And the first of the steps is you have to get up and you say, I, I am plenty on my knee, 
and I am an alcoholic. That's the first thing. Why do you have to say that? Because at least you have to, if you don't admit to yourself that you have a problem, you're not going to fix the problem. The problem can only be solved somehow if first you own up to the fact that there's a problem. And there's definitely a problem. And we all, if you have a, any shaykhs whatsoever to the internet and you're not living in the 1800s, you recognize that there is a problem. It's a problem. And it's affecting my life. And our task in life is to try to not only be on top of the mountain physically, but also to get on top of the mountain to be there when you're there. You know, there's a whole movement that's very popular today by Gayim. And, and it, it really, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a positive thing. In fact, in, in, in my girls' school, they're very into this. Like, they have, like, these themes, and this is something that they're very into this year, and it's called Mindfulness. And what it basically is, is working on training a mind to be mindful when you're experiencing something. So, like, sometimes you have to, like, cop yourself. Because otherwise you're not going to cop. So sometimes, like, you can't be mindful constantly. It's, it's, it's humanly impossible for anyone, but especially us, you know, people that have all these distractions, to really always be in the zone. That's too much to expect. But you ever, like, you know, take a walk, like a nice walk, let's say, on a, on a, you know, on a regular day, and the sun is out, and, you know, and you just stop for a second, and you say, let's focus now for a moment, just for a moment, about what's going on. I'm outside, Baruch Hashem, I'm walking, and the sun is shining on my face, the birds are chirping, let's take a snapshot right now in our minds and our hearts, and let's be here now. Let's be here now. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're eating dinner with friends. You're enjoying yourself. Enjoy it. Stop at the moment when you're doing it. This is what I'm doing. Here I am. I'm right now, and I'm here. I'm, I'm appreciating it. I'm being, I'm tasting it. I'm tasting the experience right now. And when you're learning, understand that I'm learning Tayyus Hashem. In yeshiva, with a chavrusa, I'm able to see the Gemara. I'm able to understand, maybe on a superficial level, but I'm able to somewhat understand what Tyson is saying. And I'm able to go to a shir. And I'm able to, to be here. Be able to understand what you're doing when you're doing it. To be mindful in the moment that you're doing something, what's going on. Yes, I wasn't going to give the shmuz today. Not because I didn't like the shmuz, but because I was, I was in bed. Very, very uh, unable to even consider giving a shmuz. Yesterday I was playing basketball with my son. I was having a one-on-one. I was crushing him, by the way. <laughs> crushing him. The three, it was my third game. The first two games, um, I, it was 20. He's going to kill me for saying 21-7, 21-9. In the third game, I was also beating him. I took a jump shot and I landed in a funny way on like a on like on like a little curb by the side of my house, and I went down to the ground so fast. The only thing I remember is that the grass was like rushing up to my face. That's how fast I was going down, and I didn't land on my hands. I, I don't know where my hands were, but they were not 
where they should be. And I slammed down Mamish with the full weight of my body to the ground. My leg was bleeding, my ribs are like completely bruised, and my jaw, I don't know if you could see if I look a little weird, it's besides for the normal, it's, it's, because of, uh, it's because of that. My jaw is killing me right now. And I was like mamish on the couch, and I was like, I, I can't give a daf tomorrow, I can't give a, I can't give a shmooz tomorrow, probably not going to be a Shabbos. I will, don't worry. Um, but, um, but I'll tell you, that moment that I was going down, I was in the zone. I was so focused on what was happening that I can't begin to tell you. Now, you can't obviously be that focused, especially for such a thing, you know, constantly. It's not possible for a person to have total focus on what exactly is going on. But if a person would once in a while have like moments of focused attention on something with such complete clarity like I had, we'd be G'dayun. You know, I give a chasen shmuz to whoever wants it, like right before they get married. I can't give it, I always tell the guys, come back to me like af- way after the invitations are out because if I give you the shmuz before the invitations go out, you're not going to want to send the invitations out. So make sure the person, people that are married here know what I'm talking about, people that don't you know, you shouldn't. But um, it's not that bad. I'm just kidding. But uh, like a few days. So one thing I always say before the end of the before the end of the shmuz is that the day that I got married, I got two people telling me advice. The first one was my. It wasn't my landlord. It was a guy that lived on top of me, and I, I rented a basement apartment in Brooklyn. He rented the top, the top, uh, the rest of the house. And he, he was like he was like a like a cynical you know kibitzer. He was married with a few kids, and um, so we were just schmoozing, you know, like the morning of the chasna. And he says, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, you have a car, right? I see. Yeah, my car is right over there. He says, you have like gas in the tank. I see. Yeah, full 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 tank of gas. Okay, let me give you the best advice possible. He says, you get into that car. You see the sun? He says, you just follow the sun. Wherever the sun is going, just keep driving and driving and driving. Wherever the sun takes you, that's where, that's, that was one person's advice to me. Then I went to Davin. And after Davin, this random guy comes over to me. I really, I was a little, I didn't really have much of a connection, but enough of a connection. He wasn't invited to my chasma, but he knew that I was having a chasma that day. So, he said to me, let me give you a piece of advice that somebody gave me the day that I got married. Because the day that I got married, somebody said something that really made sense. He says, you're going to be at your chasma tonight. He says, and you think that you're going to be like in your chasma, like you've been looking forward to this day for so long. He says, but you're going to get there and the photographers are going to like grab you and throw you into one room and start taking pictures and telling you to say cheese. Says, and then the maitre d' is going to schlep you into the chasen's dish. And then the masala d' is going to tell you to do this. And then the, this is going to say that. And you're going to be schlepped around, knowledge from one end of the room to the other end of the hall. Your whole night, you're going to go by. You're not going to be able to chak where you are, what you're doing. It's just going to be a complete, like, fog. And then you'll, like, 
vicariously through the video, like down, you know, when you get your videos back, then you'll be able to, you know, to, to, to understand what happened. He says, make sure that at the chasna, you're at the chasna. His lashon was, don't miss your own chasna. Do not miss your own chasna. When you're at your chasna, make sure not to miss it. Which means that you have to catch glimpses. You have to like hop sparks at your chasna of where you are, under your chuppah. You know, people are making brachas, the birchas nesuin, the birchas chasanim, birchas erisin. You have to understand that these brachas are very powerful brachas and that they're being mevarach you, that you should have shalom bayis in your house and you should have, be, it should be a, a mikdash ma'at that you're building, it should be mamish ganeden, and you're like thinking about like, you know, something else. You're saying and you're you know you're thinking about you're not thinking about what you know you're just busy like taking orders but you're not you're not really taking what you're doing with a proper concentration and that's sort of like a metaphor for our whole life we're missing our own kasma you know we're playing ball. And we're learning, and we're davening, we're eating, we're Shabbos, Yomtev, but we're missing it. It's like we're not hopping fully. We're not savoring what, we're, what our life is. We're not appreciating it. We're so busy thinking about yesterday, thinking about what's going to be, what we're planning, the summer. In the summer, we're planning for the winter. In the winter, we're planning for the summer. But when we're there, we're not there. It's the saddest thing in our life that we're never able to really taste what we've worked so hard to accomplish, we're not tasting the fruits because we're not able to be at our own chasna. That's the side of Alei Elai Ha'har Vayesham. Meishu Rabbeinu, even Meishu Rabbeinu, according to the Kutzker, have to be told by the Rabbeinu Shalom, when you're on top of the mountain, you have to be at the mountain. That's all I'm asking you. Don't come up here if your mind is not here, if your heart's not here. You have to be here fully. I want you all in. And that's how we have to spend our lives. We can't daven an entire davening from brachas till, till Elenu and the Shir Shalyayim with Kavanah. We're not the Ribnitzer, and we're not the Stifler, and we're not, we're not holding there. But once in a while in davening, just to be able to grab ourselves by the lapel and say to ourselves, think about what you're doing. Be typhus what's going on. I'm davening before the Melech Mafi Amlachim. I'm learning HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Taira. I'm, I'm doing a certain mitzvah. I'm putting on tefillin shalyad. I'm putting on tefillin shalreish. This chus that we have to do these things. The fact that we're able to, to walk outside on a beautiful summer day and be able to be margish, the chush. You know, now I appreciate, like, you know, being able to walk normally because every step that I take is mamish, you know, it's agony. Like, mamish, you know, I have to relearn until it heals. You know, but I appreciate now that I'm, I'm so grateful. The first thing I said to my wife after she came, you know, I mean, she wasn't home at the time, and I, well, I wanted to break it to her easily, what happened. But Yitzi, my, my four-year-old, beat me to He says, Mommy, Tati fell. Tati fell. Uh, he was playing basketball. He was on the ground like this. And, like, she was like, she's like, where is he now? You know, like she thought for sure. I was like, that was it. Um, <laughs> But, um, 
you know, the first thing I thought about is Baruch Hashem, and I really meant this. Baruch, it could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. You know, I have my teeth, Baruch Hashem. I have my, my eyesight. I have my, my ribs, I think, are not broken. I'm able, but, like, but I appreciate it. You appreciate it because you have it. When you're able to dodge a bullet like that, you know, you're able to appreciate, to be typhus, like a little bit what you have. And that's how life has to be. To hop, we can't be perfect. It's impossible. You know, people go to like these weekends. I read about it. You know, they, they go to like these mindful week, weekends. Like they go, and for a whole weekend, they spend time, they like confiscate their phones. They have to put all their technology like, you know, in a safe and they just spend time like reconnecting with nature, or with their spouses, or with their friends, or whatever it is. That we can't do. We, you know, that's not something that we would necessarily, you know, we don't have time for, we don't have money for, we don't, it's not a Yiddish thing, per se. But, and it doesn't work anyway. It's not that we're not going to come back and like be completely normal, like, like phased in on everything. But one thing that we can do is to try to remember to once in a while, you know, once an hour, let's say, just to hop a little bit of what we're doing. Just to live in the moment, for the moment, fully. And I think that's such an important lesson for life. And the Fridays were coming, you know, towards Shavuos, and Shavuos is really a, this man of Kabbalah satire, to remember these words of the Kapsa. That we're on the Har, we're in Yeshiva, we're B'nai Taira, we, we look good, we act good, we shuffle well, you know, we got the whole thing. We got it's the whole nine yards. We have it all worked out. It's one problem that we're not really doing it fully, with full concentration. There's a great letter from the from the uh, the Eish Kaidish that um, you know the Piazetsma writes in a letter on his 40th birthday. He writes to himself. He writes a letter to himself. Sometimes it's good to write to yourself also. He says. He says, I'm 40 years old. He says, what should I, what should I ask for, Rabbi Nishlaim? What should I ask for my 40th birthday? He says, he says, Baruch Hashem, I think I learned pretty well. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable in, in, in this. And, I'm, and my kilo is, is pretty good. He says, I've got all the right colors. As I have all the gavonim, all of the, the colors. My lavush is the right way. My shtreimah looks good. My kapata, my bekesh, my... Everything is good. He says, there's one thing I'm missing. I have the tyra. The chachma I have, I have the dam, I have the shakla, I have everything. He says, I want for my birthday, he says, I want a soul. I want to be able to have an neshama in something that I do. He says, I have all the external trappings I have. He says, but one thing, I don't, I don't have that neshama that I need. I don't have the ability to focus on what I'm doing and really understand its import. And that's what he wanted for his birthday. And that's what our, our bakash should be, the Rabbi Nisham also. Give me back my life. Give me a neshama. I want, I want that there should be a neshama in something that I do. You know, Rav Hutner was once approached by a, by a Talmud who was making aliyah. He was going to Eretzel. He wanted a bracha. So Rav Hutner says to him, he says, you know, when people, uh, Leilinu, are, you know, have a yard site, so what's the, the common, you know, bracha that you give a person? that the neshama should have an aliyah. The neshama, the person who died, the neshama should have an aliyah. Should... So he says, my bracha to you is that your aliyah should have a neshama. When you make aliyah, it should be with a neshama because you could go move to Eretz 
And, you know, there's different ways of making Aliyah. Some people move to Eretz Yisrael and they mamish, you know, they go to Meir Sharem and they live with the Rebbe Chasidim and they mamish become like, you know, like Kedosh Aliyah. And some people move to Eretz Yisrael and they made Aliyah. But, you know, they, you know they're, they're doing the same things they did in America and Eretz Yisrael. They just brought over, you know, whatever they did here, over there. He says, Halavai that your Aliyah should have a Neshama. There should be a Neshama to what we do in life. Whatever we do in life, it shouldn't just be that we're doing it for the sake of doing it. We're not davening because we daven and learn because we learn. Our learning, our davening, our Yiddishkeit, our shamayim, our family, our friendships, whatever we do, we should be zeichet havenishamu in everything. And when we're able to go home and be in the zone and, and look at the twinkle in our children's eyes and be able to appreciate the little things. The little things that, you know, that we, we trample on every day because we're so distracted. That's when we begin to have a life again. When we're able to really be mindful, once in a while, snippets here and there. By, by the chas, I tell chasam, you're not going to be able to be in the zone the whole three, four hours of a chas. No. But once in a while, pinch yourself like under a chuppah while people are dancing for you. You know, by shavarachas, by, you know, just chap what's going on. They're here for you. All these hundreds of people are here for you. You're the chas tonight. You're not going to your friend's wedding. This is your wedding. This is your chuppah. And that's true for life. This is my davening. This is my learning. This is my family. This is my future. And if a person is able once in a while to be typist these sparks and to catch them and to really put them into their pockets and into their hearts, suddenly life is going to you know, get animated again. And we're going to go from those people that are walking zombies, those people that their guf is kayim, but then shmosin are nisrafin, burnt souls with walking bodies, we're going to be able to once again be Mechaya Mason. We're going to be able to put meaning and value into the little things or the, the big things in our life. And when that happens, we're not only going to be on top of the mountain, we're going to be Shum, we're going to be there. We're going to be able to Mechabal the Torah with Abba and with all of our faculties, with all of our Kedusha, all of our, all of our Mayach and all of our Kayach. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be to that day, the current.